Welcome to The Boundless Self, a podcast that is here to explore all of the ways in which we limit ourselves. Together, we will explore the deep, messy, exciting, and often uncomfortable topics to identify and heal everything that keeps you from believing in your boundless potential. I'm your host, Kathleen McBride, and becoming boundless changed everything for me. Now I run a life and a business embracing my own fears and helping people all around the world to believe in themselves. Tune into each episode and join me on your journey of becoming your most boundless self. Welcome back, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of The Boundless Self. Again, thank you so much as always for being here, for investing your time and energy here with me and the amazing guests that we're having on who are sharing with us and we're learning together what this journey of becoming boundless really gets to look like in your life. And today is a day like any other where we're going to be learning even more about becoming your most boundless self in your life um, around a certain topic, which is going to be authenticity. Now, again, before every episode, I love you just to take a deep breath and take a moment to just sink in and connect and ask yourself how you're really feeling. Check in with those parts of you, check in with your inner child, check in with any other young vulnerable parts of you that might need a little bit of love or reassurance right now. And give yourself a couple of damn words of validation. Tell yourself how good you're doing today. Tell yourself how amazing you are for getting through whatever it is that you're going through right now. Tell yourself how amazing you are for just showing up. Tell yourself how proud you are of you for showing up and listening to a podcast on a busy day. Tell yourself those things that really matter. Validate yourself and your experience because this is key, as we know, in healing the relationship with yourself first and foremost so that you can go into the relationships in your life with, you know, future partners, friends, family, future managers or bosses or colleagues and just anyone in your life. Remember that this relationship with you is a direct mirror for the relationships you have in all areas of life. And as cheesy as it fucking sounds, it truly does start with you. So before we go on to today's episode, I just want to briefly share a little bit about Boundless. So this is the second round of Boundless, which is a 10-week transformational program that is starting April 17th, so the week beginning then. Now, this program is all around incredible. I have been absolutely blown away with the results and the experiences that the lovely woman going through it, who are just finishing this week, have experienced so what they're coming back with is being able to actually have conversations and speak up with their partners or with people having those hard courageous conversations getting themselves through moments of fear going out and doing the things they've always wanted to do but been afraid of and had so many doubts around but they're actually doing it they're starting new programs for their own business they're moving overseas they're allowing themselves to just be who they are They're speaking and asking what they need from the people in their lives, from their family, from their partners. There's big, powerful things happening for them. And it's amazing to see the results of this work that they have been doing. And let me tell you, they've been working very hard over the last 10 weeks. So Boundless is really about discovering your deepest fears and insecurities. It's primarily a program that's based on everything that you don't really want to go into. It's based around fears and insecurities and doubts and the parts of you that you've likely rejected that are actually kind of in the periphery of your mind, freaking out about stuff, 
constantly causing that voice of doubt, of pain, of insecurity, of anxiety, of overthinking, of comparison, and stopping you from being able to take action on the things that you really want to do in your life. And these parts of us that, you know, hold us back, I know as much as anyone else, I know you don't want to look at them. I know you don't want to actually go into all your past emotional baggage. I know you don't, but sometimes it does have to be done. And in order to free yourself and become truly boundless, it's about bringing those things that maybe you've been the most ashamed of, or maybe you wish didn't exist within you, bringing those things into the light and actually dealing with some of the stuff that has shaped you, some of your past experiences, learning how to process your emotions, how to feel your feelings, learning how to be compassionate and kind to yourself, developing an inner leader, developing a connection with the part of you that is truly you, your authentic self. And so in this program, we use what is called parts theory. So we're not only doing inner child healing, we are working with all the different parts of you that exist because if you didn't already know, there's a lot more than just your inner child that exists. There is literally so many more. It's mind-blowing. And we create these parts of ourselves in moments in our past when we experience pain or trauma or difficulty. And we create these parts of ourselves and we either choose to deny them and push them away and exile them or we choose to create, not actually choose, but we end up creating protective parts of ourselves. We end up creating these parts of ourselves that stand up for us, that fight for us, and that try to protect us from the pain that we might have experienced in our past or in your past. But the way that these protective parts often do that is through things like overwhelm, overthinking, anxiety, distraction, and numbing, Netflix, self-doubt, so many more things. And this act of protection is often something that we don't see. And that's what's been really highlighted inside this program that has been really powerful for the woman going through it, have been actually being able to see the parts that were created to keep them safe and finding this newfound sense of compassion, finally making sense, finally understanding yourself, finally going, oh my God, this is why I do this. And then learning the tools and techniques and the healing exercises to go through and unburden those parts of you, to heal their pain, to give them what they need to reparent your inner child and to give yourself everything that you most need in this life and in this relationship that you have with all those parts of you so that you can show up in your life, so that you can make those courageous, bold decisions, so you can go after the dreams that you have, those things that are on your heart, so you can speak up, use your voice, go and travel, start the side hustle, ask for the more money, whatever it might be. This is what this work is about. And it's a great mix of 50% of me guiding you through this work, but the other 50% of it is you learning, learning the tools and the techniques so that you are grounded in this work. Because as the girls in Boundless know, this is a journey. This is a lifelong journey. You're never going to solve all your shit in 10 weeks. It's just not realistic. But what I am passionate about is empowering you and equipping you with skills, tools, and techniques that work for you to continue on this journey that every time you get out your comfort zone and your fear or discomfort or doubt arises, you know how to work through that. You're equipped with those skills. So that's a bit about Boundless. If you'd like to learn more, I'll put the links in the show notes. And if you want to book in a free connection call with me, it's a 30-minute call. It is not a sales call. It is no pressure. It is purely to get to know each other, a space for you to ask questions about the program so that you can feel empowered to make a decision as to whether the program is the right fit for you or not. So I offer those calls. I'll again put the link in the show notes. But now 
I'd really love to introduce our very, very special guest today. Her name is Chloe Higgins, and Chloe is a writer. She is an award-winning writer, and she is a writing coach. She also coaches in areas of vulnerability, of authenticity, and so much more. She is just fucking incredible. She is somebody that I have worked with um, in, a, in the past when I was on a journey of writing a book, um, when she was doing her writing coaching, and I love how she teaches this. She writes and she teaches about writing from the body, about writing authentically and vulnerably. She is an incredibly expansive person and she is just just amazing and it's an absolute honor to have her here on the podcast today. Today we're jamming all things authenticity and Chloe shares with us everything that she's learned, including breaking down the two levels and layers of authenticity that she sees and the steps to showing up as more of your authentic self in your life and the benefits of that as well. Now, Chloe shares her story of grief, and I just want to share this with you so you can make the decision as to whether this is something that is going to be helpful for you at this time. Please look after yourself in this episode. We do discuss a few heavy topics, including what her journey has been around and what her book is based off, which is the story of a car accident and her two sisters passing. So I will let us dive into this amazing episode. You're going to hear so much. We go down so many freaking tangents and it's just incredible to have her here. I will put all the links in the show notes for Chloe, how to work with her, how to see her, how to get in touch with her and a special workshop that she's running soon. Enjoy. But Chloe, can you tell us a bit about who you are, what your journey's been like, and then we can dive deep into our topic today, which is authenticity, which we love. <laughs> Thanks, Kathleen, for having me. I'm so excited and a little bit nervous to be here. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I am an author and a writing coach, and I'm just sort of starting to transition into doing more sort of vulnerability, communication, and authenticity coaching. But um, primarily, I've spent the last two years working as a writing coach. So, uh, in terms of my background, um, when I was 17, I lost two sisters in a car accident, and I went from being you know, really straight A student sitting up the front of the class, literally taking cigarettes out of people's mouths, like that level of kind of, okay, a little bit too much, Chloe, <laughs> like at a party, right? Um, and then the accident happened and I just spiraled and just went in the complete opposite direction and ended up sort of spiraling into several years of drugs, sex, travel, reading, you know, just sort of pure escapism and adventure seeking in a way because the accident had really just cracked open like my heart, my brain, and I was in shock and it was just like, whoa, what is this thing called life? I'm going to go, if this can happen, I might as well go out and and explore it and so on. And so what I, um, what happened off the back of that is that I ended up in a psychiatric ward uh, for about three months. And that was really one of the best things that happened to me. For I, I know people have a lot of horror stories, but for me it was actually a really um, healing experience in that, I didn't come from a family where we were taught how to regulate our emotions or where we were taught how to communicate what was going on in our inner world. And so when the accident happened, I didn't really have those skills to draw on. Mm -hmm. And going into that psychiatric ward for me felt like the first time where I had a space after the accident happened where I could just be like messy and just vomit my emotions and almost just be childlike in my, not inconsiderate, I mean, in a way, in consideration for other people's needs, right? Because I'd I was stop I'd stop being so in my head about like my parents and da, da 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 da, and was just really able to start expressing what was going on in my inner world, which was obviously absolute chaos. 
Um, and whilst I was in there, I started I started writing and I decided that I wanted to write a book about the accident as a way to sort of process it. And that then led to me devoting my life to writing for a period of 12 years where I did not let myself have any other hobbies, literally other than writing. Like I would travel and I would like work for nine months in Australia and then go traveling overseas for three months every single year. But other than that, my life was built around writing. And even that really was so like when I was traveling, I was, I was like writing the whole time, right. Rather than doing all the tourist stuff. Um, and so my I did a couple of degrees eventually in creative writing in there as well, but my debut book then came out in 2019, um, which was called the girls and was the story of the car accident. And then trying to rebuild my relationship with my parents in the aftermath of everything that I'd kind of put them through. Um, and it went on to get shortlisted and win um, a bunch of national awards and have sort of multiple agents and publishers pitching for it and prior to publication and so on. Um, and really it was the most vulnerable and the most authentic thing that I'd ever done in my life. It was a memoir. Um, there was a lot of, you know, intimate stuff in that book. Um, you know, a lot of stuff that I think most people wouldn't really like the world to know about themselves. Um, but for me, it was really in an exercise in like reducing shame, you know, bringing, speaking about, um, all of those difficult things in an effort to, to reduce shame. And that then um, I taught creative writing at universities and stuff and writer centers around the country for a while. But it was at the beginning of COVID that I started doing these online workshops and for myself, for my own business. And all of a sudden I realized like that's the way I wanted to coach when it was in my own business rather than within an institution where I had to like wear shoes and couldn't use the word vagina and it wasn't appropriate to cry in class with my students. Right. And for me, like, those three things are a really big part of who I am. And so when I was teaching for myself, it meant that I got to decide what the rules were and what was appropriate and inappropriate. And I got to lead with vulnerability and like realness, absolute realness. And then um, I spent two years um, coaching people that were, that were wanting to write their first books. And it was just so breathtaking to me, the vulnerability that these women and sometimes men, but primarily women would be willing to show up to class with. Mm. And, you know, the feedback that I started getting was like, nobody's ever taught writing in this way before. Like I've never found anyone that holds space and teaches writing in this way. Um, yeah. And over time, what I started to notice is that really everyone was writing the same book, literally. So we were all using different plots if we were writing fiction or different had real different real life events if we were writing memoir. But we were all writing the same freaking book, which was the question of like, how do I love myself? Wow. How do I love myself? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's I, it. That's it, yes. right? And it's like, how do I love myself just as I am? Like at my core, who I authentically am, not who I pretend to be, not who I want to be, not who I, you know, when I'm really bright and shiny and have my shit together, who I'm then, but how do I love me just being me and all parts of me that exist, right? The parts of me that are messy, the parts of me that are, you know, chaotic or whatever it is. But yeah, what a beautiful question. So fascinating that you were able to just see that from, you know, seeing people's writing in both fiction and nonfiction, that the theme was just that central question was still so there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, for me, I feel like I write my way towards radical self-responsibility, right? And what I mean by this is that I've never written 
to correct other people's thinking. And so often beginner writers, when you ask why they're right, it's like, well, I want to educate people on da 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 da, right? Which is to say, I want to change other people in this way. But for me, the way that I view writing is like, how can I take radical self-responsibility for myself? Mm. And that means that when we're writing, we're writing to understand something, right? We're writing to grow. We're writing to, you know, gain knowledge. Um, and so oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. And so it, it means that, like, for me, writing is always about about healing. And so what I found happening is that because the way that I love to work on the page is about me improving my learning how to better communicate, learning how to be a better daughter, learning how to be more authentic in the world or whatever it is, I started to work with my students in this way where where their writing was just a vehicle for self-development really, you know, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And tell us about like it sounds like your entire journey has been about both authenticity and that radical self-responsibility, but I'd love to hear more about your journey with authenticity and what's led you to have that as such a leading value in your life and your work and your business just everywhere. Yeah. I love this question. I think for me, I never really intentionally set out to like learn how to be authentic in quote marks, right? (laughs) Which is very popular in the self-development industry right now. It's very, very popular. (laughs) Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. I, what I set out to do was two things. Number one was to learn how to be vulnerable And number two was to learn how to be a better communicator. And so like I was doing this really, like I started doing this work a long time ago. So like I started a community radio station program called Stories That Shape, where I would like interview people about different experiences they'd been through in life as a way of training myself how to deeply listen, you know, and I was like 20 years old when I was doing this. Right. And then I remember I don't know, maybe a couple of years later, starting to recognize that like I wasn't being honest with other people about how I was feeling about what was going on in my inner world. And so I decided to start training myself to answer people's questions honestly. Mm, Like that classic when someone says, how are you? You know, and you go automatically, good. Yep. Good. Even though your life could be literally breaking down or you could be having a really bad day on the inside, but society teaches us that we're not to say things like that or it even just becomes an automatic response to that question right when really that question is a bid for connection from another human being like when people ask that they genuinely want to know how you are but we've been so conditioned to believe that we need to pretend that we're perfect that emotions are messy that you know taking up space isn't good um, that we need to be these people that have our stuff together and everything's fine that it stops us from achieving that authentic connection which is what I think most souls crave, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I remember like, I'm just sort of skipping ahead now, I don't know, 15 years. And I remember like starting to talk about money, for example, on my Instagram or sex and my mom being like, look, How you can talk about you? Yeah. How dare you? And she's like, look, I just, I don't care what you do. I'll support your business. I think it's great. I just think you shouldn't talk about sex and money. Wow. And probably the two topics that need to be spoken about, right? Because we hold shame in this area very easily, right? And for me, they were the two topics that I'd had the most shame put on me through childhood, which was exactly why it was important for me to talk about those specific topics, right? Um, And so I started doing that. And 
And then I don't know, like people just started talking about like how authentic I was. And at first I was like, even now, sometimes I just, ah, oh, interesting. It's not really, huh? I don't know. It just feels like kind of like normal to me, to be honest. Yeah. And I wonder if that's like, you know, when somebody's saying and observing, wow, you're really authentic. It's, it's probably nothing to do with you. It's a reflection within themselves of, wow, I'm so not authentic. or I'm so, I'm showing up as a false version of myself. And this person's just showing up as they are, you know, they've given themselves permission to be whatever they are experiencing at that particular moment in time. They're not censoring themselves. They're speaking up They're you know, they're embodying their emotions and allowing them to be in the world. And they're, from that place they're then creating a life that they actually want to live you know um and that can be god maybe terrifying right to some to someone who's not living like not living as their authentic self who feels like they're living a lie which i'm sure so many people myself included really resonate with when you start living that life of shoulds and you're trying to be the person you think your parent or your partner or society wants you to be right like you could have very easily gone down the road with your mum right of being like oh cool okay so in order to get my mother's love and approval, which we all seek as human beings, I won't talk about money or sex. I'll just do this and I'll shame myself and I'll hide this part of myself. And that would have been an awful road for you to go down, right? Denying parts of ourselves creates pain and suffering and vulnerability is what heals. And that's what I hear throughout everything. It almost feels like authenticity doesn't even matter as a word for you. It's been vulnerability and releasing shame. Yeah, absolutely. Release. Yeah, both of those things. Like two of, I guess, like, I mean, I, I wanted, there's two things that I want to talk about with this. Um, so let me just make a note here. Okay. So there's like two things for me that are coming up here. Number one is like, I remember getting in trouble for masturbating when I was, I don't know, I don't actually know how old I was, but like quite young, like six or seven. Mm. And it, in, it it seemed like such like a small thing at the time, right? Like we were in the lounge room with like cousins and aunties and all watching a movie. I was under a quilt and I just, from memory, started masturbating. And someone that was there, one of my extended family members was like, oh, Chloe, don't do that. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Right. And, and it's such a seemingly small thing. And yeah, I won't go into like my own personal journey because that'd be like a whole other. <laughs> but like that impacted and still does impact my relationship to my body, to sex, to pleasure on such a deep level that it's like one of the biggest wounds that I have to like unpack and work on. Mm. And the other big thing was that like I was told growing up that I'm like, that I'm obsessed with money, which is, which is interesting because I'm literally an artist for a living, right? Like, <laughs> I don't. You're like, hmm, am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I was, I guess I'm a coach now, now I'm making decent money, but that's, that's quite a new thing for me. Um, so for me to start to talk about these two things was so, so, so important for my own healing, you know? Um, but the second thing that I think is interesting about what you just said about people sort of leaving lives, leading lives of quiet desperation or, or, or feeling like a, a fake or whatever it is, is that for me, I think there's like two levels of authenticity that I like to distinguish between. And one of them came really easy for me. And the other one has been really hard and is still a work in progress and is still something that I struggle with. Oh, let's hear these two levels. We love two levels. Break it down for us, Chloe. So number one, the first level of authenticity that I think about is like macro level. And this is like life choices. So this is like decisions like leaving a partner, 
moving countries, pursuing a passion, you know, like I'm at the moment carving out a career as a fighter, for example, right? So, and I've been devoting the last three and a half years of my life to that. I moved countries for that. I like left my friends and family, closed an organization. And none of those things felt like a big deal to me. They felt obvious, right? Because this pull towards fighting, it came from my body. It wasn't like an intellectual decision. Half the time my brain is like, what WTF are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) I love those moments. eh? Wow. And that's so incredible, like that you reflected that those changes have come quite easily to you, those macro kind of bigger scale changes of, you know, literally changing the location that you are in the world, changing your career, where you spend your time, where you invest your money, you know, like those changes have come really easily to you. I think because, and what I know from working with you in writing has been your philosophy of write from the body, edit from the head, you know, and you live this life where you're you're very in tune with that pull, with that intuition, which is a big part of authenticity, isn't it? Is that connection to your truest desire. Mm. Absolutely. That for me is like the starting point of authenticity Mm. is like tapping into intuition or what I kind of refer to or language as like the body pulls. It's like the the body pulls you towards something, right? Yeah. Um, Or other people will call it intuition. Um, That for me, it's like the, it's the macro level of authenticity. And when we're not tapped into that, that's how we end up working in a job we hate for 20 years, married to a spouse we realize we're not compatible with. Yes. I don't know. Spend all of our money on a house, like whatever it is. So many more examples of that, right? Okay. So I'm hearing that this macro level of authenticity comes from that level and ability to connect with your body, your intuition, your soul's pulls towards where you're meant to be in this life. And the result of the disconnection from that, which we live in a world that has led us to disconnect from our bodies, you know, even pleasure, like that first example you shared of masturbating when you were six, you know, no, no, yuck, 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 straight away brought in that message, disconnect from your body. Don't, don't go to those sensations. Don't, you know, they don't exist. Um, But that's, it's important to have that connection because that is how you can have the information needed to go where you need to go, to do what you need to do, rather than thinking just from the logical brain, right? Like imagine if, and you must see this in writing, like if you know, I remember actually saying this, you know when somebody's written a book from their head, right? Like it's just got nothing to it. And I think that's what we're seeing in the world now with the lack of inauthenticity and the lack of authenticity is people living their life from their logical brain, right? Which is what's been so rewarded in this world of, you know, doing, getting stuff done, thinking about things, rationalizing things, analyzing things, and when we live our life from up here, we miss so much of that really important stuff, right? Which is like you said, how people end up in marriages, lives, homes, families, jobs, in places where they don't feel fulfilled because they've created that life from their head rather than from their heart, their body, their soul, right? So yeah, that's absolutely. the macro level that yeah. you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the brain, can I swear on this podcast? You can swear so much. Because okay. the brain is a fucking liar. Yeah, it is, right? Oh it's very like the the stories that we tell in our brain is predominantly made up from when we were under seven years old like the information our brain tells us it's using verification from our pre-seven-year-old life 
to yeah. see if things are right, to see how we do things, to see what the rules are in this situation. It's not even allowing us to see where we are today. And we have all these protective parts of our brain that come through of these protective instincts to help us survive that keep us very, very safe in our comfort zone. But what's important to distinguish is that your comfort zone is not necessarily comfortable. It's just where you know. Like if your logical brain led your life, you'd likely find yourself in the same job for 20 years because that's what you know, right? That's the benefit of it. And I think what's so funny about you, what we're seeing is living from the body. I've seen you make a lot of change in your life because of this. Oh, interesting. What change have you seen? It just change in your, like you feel the pull and you go, you go to these, you mm. know, like changing your career, going to do this, even within your business, right? Like you feel the pull and you go, oh, actually I need to stop this part and I need to, you know, start in this part or I'm going to move to Thailand or wherever it is, you know, but like you, you listen to it, you listen to that macro level of authenticity. And so that's something you found really easy. Why, yeah. is, why is that? Is that because of, do you think the years of, of doing the writing from the body work? I don't know. No, it was there before. It was there before wow. the accident. I've never worked at it. I've never cultivated it. It's just there. It's just there. Yeah. Fascinating. I, yeah. I don't know. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess I was kind of in my body from a young age. Like I've always been moving between intellect and body. Like even from as young as like literally at 12, I started running. And then at 14 or 15, I started self-set study schedules so I would get up and study before school so most mornings from uh, like high school onwards before school I would either be training on my own often running usually running or studying because I couldn't learn in the way that they were teaching at school so I would kind of have to reteach myself in the morning right so I was always moving with a high level of drive back and forth between body and intellect for these two things you know and that even right now is the way that my life is, is built I'm a Muay Thai fighter which is obviously very bodily and and an author based in in a writer and a writing coach, which is very intellectual. And so I move between these these two states quite fluidly. Mm, but so the 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 micro level stuff is the is the area that I've really struggled with. Tell us about that. We love to hear when someone else struggles with things, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, if macro is the big life decisions, the micro authenticity is for me the the moment to moment level of authenticity. So this is kind of what you were talking about before when you said someone asks, how are you going? And and you lie, right? Um, and this, for me, there's even, there's sort of two, I, I, I there's even two, there's kind of t- maybe two sub layers to this. I think of like authentic, inauthenticity with ourself and then inauthenticity with others. And in that kind of micro moment, it's usually about like not being honest about the thoughts that are running in the back of your mind that you won't let yourself turn to look at, not letting yourself be honest with the feelings that are coming up in your body, how you actually feel about a situation. Um, they're the main, yeah, that's it really. And so this can play out in a more obvious way is like not telling someone else how we feel about a situation or not holding a boundary that we want to or whatever it is. But this also plays out for me in like, how honest I'm being with myself. Mm -hmm. So everyone thinks about like, oh, not, you know, you should tell your partner the truth of how you feel. That first requires you to tell yourself the truth (laughs) of how you feel. Which is sometimes so hard, right? Like you often, like in relationships is a great example, right? When you, it's absolutely awful when you are in relationship with someone and you have that inkling that I don't want to be here anymore. You know, especially when you've you've built a life with someone or, you know, and it's it's an awful feeling to be in. Or when you're in a job, you know, that you you used to love 
and you have that, I don't want to be here anymore. And, and admitting that truth to yourself, or even in a friendship, right? Like our friendships grow, evolve and change, you know, these things that we do see, feel and experience when we have that come up and how we really feel about something can be very hard to admit to ourselves, right? But I'm hearing that it's a big, almost maybe one of the most foundational steps to authenticity is being honest with yourself first. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's like, it's even more micro than that, right? Like what you're talking about, oh, I don't want to be here anymore. That for me feels like macro life decision level, right? But I'm talking like in the moment, your partner says something and you have a surge of anger come up or your friend does something and you have a pang of, I don't know, let's say jealousy. So for, which is not to say that they did anything wrong, right? Mm. This is not about, for me, authenticity isn't about like communicating because the other person has done something wrong. Mm. Although sometimes it is about a person overstepping a boundary that can absolutely be part of it. But for example, like I had a conversation, a good, a very close girlfriend of mine called me up, um, I think the day before yesterday, and we spent a couple of hours on the phone and she was sharing some stuff about how um, she, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I just realized I'm just trying to respect her sort of um, privacy. privacy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, So, so she was struggling. So we trained at the same gym together and she was struggling with some emotions that were coming up in regards to how, how um, good she felt, right. In terms of how skilled she felt um, during training. And there were some behaviors that I was doing that was setting off her her jealousy and her insecurity. right? Right. And, but the thing was, I wasn't doing anything wrong, right? She wasn't coming to me and saying, you've overstepped a boundary, Chloe. Like I actually hadn't at all. She was coming to me saying like, when you do these behaviors, I feel triggered because it's hitting some unresolved wound within me that's bringing up jealousy and insecurity. And can you hold space for me? Not because I need you, Chloe, to change your behavior. I actually don't. You haven't done anything wrong. But because I just need to process these feelings and work out what I need to resolve here. Okay, absolutely, sure. I can I said I responded, you know, let's let's go through it. And um she just realized that she was in an trying to fit in, trying to be what she perceived as one of the cool girls was changing her behavior out away from her authentic self, right? Mm, which never feels good, does it? It never no. like that's one of the key like one of the main red flags within yourself recognizing that you're being an authentic or you're betraying how you really feel is it doesn't feel good, right? It's never going to go smoothly. Yeah. Well, I think it can initially, right? I don't, I, for me, I mean, I guess it's different for everyone, but I think it can sometimes feel good for the first couple, three times because you're getting like, you're, you are actually meeting some need that you have, yeah. whether that's to fit in, whether that's to feel sexy, whether that's to feel talented, right? Whatever it is, right? So you are actually meeting some need that you have. But after those like two, three, four, five times, then it's not going to feel good, right? And you're like, then you're why like, does this not work? You know, what's going on here? Mm. Why am I doing something that I don't enjoy twice yeah. a day, five days a week all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. Wow. What an amazing vulnerable conversation for your, you and your friend to have, right? Coming to you, not, you know, and I think it's such a good, good point to explore that often when people trigger us, trigger things within us, often they aren't doing anything wrong. They're just living their life. They're just, you know, doing whatever it is. And in friendships, that can often cause some friction, right? Like you could, you know, she could have decided, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to distance myself from her because she's triggering me, you know, and I don't want to feel those uncomfortable feelings and emotions. But having that ability to recognize for her that actually 
it's literally nothing to do with her. She's doing nothing wrong. This is my stuff. Um, and it's an opportunity for me to heal. It's so important because I think we do, I certainly do have to own it, shy away from our triggers. You know, we ideally, we don't want to go into them, do we? We don't want to pretend they even exist, to be frank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a really important part of authenticity or vulnerability work, right? This isn't a permission slip to always be right. This no, isn't a permission. Yeah, this isn't a permission slip to vomit all of your emotions over people and expect them to just hold it because you're just being authentic. No, authentic also comes with a responsibility to learn emotional regulation, to learn frameworks of clear communication, to learn how to take responsibility for your traumas and your triggers. Like that is also part of authenticity work. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, sometimes I think it was my dad or I can't remember. Someone was like, oh, okay. So should I just walk around telling everyone what I think about them all the time? <laughs> and you were like, yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Right. And the way that I differentiate between this is again, is this coming from the head or is this coming from the body? Right. So what I mean by this is let's say I'm having a thought about another woman saying like, oh, she's fat or whatever it is, right? Would I tell her? No, absolutely not. What what benefit is that? It's coming from my head. It's a judgment. It's, it's, it's not beneficial for either of us, right? It's not about me getting a need met mm. nor her, whatever, okay? As opposed to, say, me being in conversation with a friend and her, I don't know, inviting me to go somewhere, right? And then and, and my, body come, my body pulls up and, and my body is like, I, I don't want to go. I, I want to tell her that I don't want to go, but my brain is saying, oh, you're going to offend her. That's not good friendship. You're not a nice person. You're being selfish. And in that moment, it's like, okay, am I going to listen to my head or my body? Well, I'm going to listen to my body because this actually, it, it, it's coming from the body. It's not coming, sorry, it's coming from the body. It's not coming from the head and it is beneficial for both parties and it's about getting a need met, right? Mm. Yeah. So for me, those two situations are really different. Yeah, so true. And isn't it just fascinating that when you ask that question, should I listen to my head or listen to my body? A lot of people would say, and I think our society currently would say, listen to your head. Yeah. Listen to your head. It knows best, you know, be logical, be analytical, listen to the head, right? And the body is holding so much more information for you, isn't it? Yeah. The the brain is usually the fear, right? And the body is usually like the impulse, you know, although I guess we have to be careful that we don't interpret maybe anxiety or fear that is showing up in the body as the thing that we want to listen to. I mean, it's obviously a bit of an art form and it takes yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, actually, that's another thing that I've been thinking about. Actually, I want to do an Instagram post about this, like you making mistakes in your authenticity and your communication is not a red flag that says you should stop and turn around, mm-hmm. right? If we make mistakes in any other skill, learning to box, learning to paint, right? A mistake, we don't interpret those mistakes as a sign that, oh, you're just not made for this. You're doing the wrong thing. Turn around and go back. I'm imagining your fighting career, how how short-lived it would have been if you did it that way, yeah? Yes, exactly right. Um, and so, like, I've been having a couple of, like, I've had a couple of little, like, small, in quote marks, clashes. They weren't actually clashes, to be honest, but just, like, I tried to have difficult conversations with a couple of people and they just weren't really interested or they weren't able to hold it. And I kind of let my brain was telling me stories about them thinking that I'm ridiculous and try hard and all this kind of stuff. Right. 
And then my brain was like, oh, this is a sign that you're like doing this wrong, that you're not meant to be doing this. And like, and I had to like reparent myself. Like, I mean, no, like maybe they're just not available, but also like maybe you're just learning. Like maybe you just have to make a few mistakes and like maybe that's okay, you know? And like, I think making these, you know, in quotation marks, mistakes, um, that's authentic in itself, right? Like an authentic life. And this is what I think a lot of people get confused with these two words, authenticity, which is a big buzzword at the moment, and aligned, which is another big buzzword at the moment. Um, People often think that those words actually just mean perfect, you know? And so authenticity is, authenticity is imperfection, isn't it? It's allowing yourself to be imperfect and be just as you are, which involves making mistakes. But the benefit of that and the benefit, I think, of authenticity from my side, curious to hear yours, but is that you fucking live, you fucking live and you try and you experience things and you live life fully rather than holding yourself back either out of fear or comparison or judgment. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on that as well. Well, I think that that's something that I struggle with. I think I have a long history of perfectionism. Yeah. And it's funny because in say boxing, I'm okay with myself making mistakes in a way that I'm not yet okay with myself or giving myself grace with when it comes to things like communication. I mean, I think it's partially because of what I do for work, right? Like people don't, well, I actually, I do get paid to fight, but like (laughs) I'm an amateur fighter, right? Like I'm not whatever. Whereas like, you know, the community, my, I, I, my level of, or what I interpret as my level of communication is directly related to how I interpret my level of integrity in my business, I guess Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. And so my perfectionism is still quite high in that area. It's something I'm um, aware of and try to work on a little bit, but um, Mm. yeah. That's fascinating. eh? And I think it's so funny, like uh, being in a, in the business as a coach, there is this horrible, scary road you go down where you have, where you expect that now that you know these tools and now that you know, you know the stuff and you're so much more hashtag woke that you're going to be able to be perfect and that nothing's ever going to upset you. You can have no work to do and feeling this um, sense that you have to be this level of perfect and the total embodiment of your work, you know, with and for your clients or for whoever it is. When again, that's not authentic. Like if you can imagine a coach or even just a business person in general pretending to be perfect, right? Again, this whole thing is that we, get to accept that we're human beings. We are fatally flawed. We live, we die. We have instincts within us that cause us to to lie, to cheat, to do whatever it is that we need to do. We are imperfect. Like we are not gods. That is what being human is about. It is our fatal flaw. And it's why we're here. You know, we're here to learn and grow and live and evolve and develop. That's why we're here. It's why we're living in this way. And so I would love everyone to stop putting authenticity and the word aligned as well. Authenticity and alignment up on that bloody pedestal. Take it down. It's not another word for perfect. It just isn't. Authenticity and alignment are about just being yourself. And I think my favorite thing from this, Chloe, so far has been the being honest with yourself part. Because I feel like that's a real, I love a tangible step. I love a how-to. I'm a how-to gal. That's my analytical brain. But I think it's a really tangible step in bringing and inviting more authenticity into your life is just being more honest with yourself. And it doesn't mean like you, that great example you gave of, you know, you have a thought that a woman is fat when you're looking at them. It doesn't mean that you go and do something from that space, but it's allowing that thought to exist and, and saying, oh, that, that thought's there. Okay. What do I actually want to do from here in my body? You know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in terms of actionable steps, I have like a process that I can share because 
I think for me, um, almost everything in life is something that is trainable, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't really subscribe to this idea of like, oh, your personality is that you're a great communicator. No, it's the fact that I like spent 12 years literally training myself how to communicate, studying tools, going to like practice classes, literally workshopping it for fun with girlfriends like all the time. Like I'm obsessed with it, right? Like, you know, and actually my Chiron for people that are into astrology is in Gemini, which is like the wound of communication. Communication is and has been my biggest weak point in my life. Like I'm not even kidding. It's literally my biggest wound. And if you look at my astrology chart, if you're into that, or you can just take astrology out of the picture as well. Same, same. But like, I'm here in this life to learn how to communicate. And like, funnily enough, it's my Chiron is in Gemini, but in the house of cancer, which is like in part about how we relate to our mother. And like my first book, I didn't know anything about astrology when I wrote it, but my first book is about actually, it's about me learning how to communicate with my mother. (laughs) I fucking love that. eh? God, astrology is good sometimes, isn't it? Wow. So for you, that it is a very authentic journey, isn't it? And you you felt the pull to go and explore that. That's incredible. And so, Chloe, I would love to talk a bit more just about some of those tangible steps for people who are exploring this idea of authenticity and who want to invite it more into their life. What are some of those steps that you mentioned? Yeah, so for me, I have like a four-step process that I have found really useful that I only really realized in hindsight when I had a student ask how I was doing it, what I was doing. So this is a four-step process that I use to train myself towards authenticity. So number one, it's just about acknowledgement. So this starts with even admitting the truth of how you feel in your body or what the thoughts are that are running in the back of your mind, right? Just starting to allow yourself to actually turn towards those thoughts and hear them, even though you might think that they're silly or they're going to lead nowhere, or if you acknowledge them, it means you're selfish. Just that practice of starting to turn and, and listen. And then number two is starting to train awareness. So this for me is like once I've first acknowledged this background thought, let's well, you can do this with thoughts or feelings. They they you know thoughts from the brain, feelings from the body. But let's use this as a use this example with thoughts. So once you become aware or you've even acknowledged that that thought is in the background, then I want to start to train awareness. And this for me looks like as I'm going about my life, daily life, how often. And in what situations is that same thought popping up? Mm. And you can go just with these two steps alone from, for example, not thinking that you have an inner critic to realizing that literally every 60 minutes, if not more, there's a voice in the back of your head saying, you're not doing this correctly. You're not doing this correctly. You're not doing this correctly. I literally just gave, had this exact conversation with someone with a client and gave her that piece of homework, which is the self-awareness exercise where you set an alarm every two hours and write down whatever thought you're thinking, again, to create that awareness of an inner critic or whatever other part of you is there in those thoughts, right? So the yeah. acknowledgement and awareness, first two steps, really important, hey? Yeah. And then number three is like a thought correction or some people might, maybe this is like a little bit of reparenting work. And this is as we start to notice this thought coming up, instead of just believing it as fact, starting to like speak back to it. And sometimes this can be about literally just being like, hey, like, you know, do we know that that's a fact? Or like, you know, are we sure that's the only interpretation? Or is this actually an empowering thought to have? And sometimes it's about collecting evidence that actually works to actively undermine that lie that your brain is telling you. And then when it comes up, we're feeding that evidence to that lie, feeding that evidence and continually um, uh, undercutting it, undercutting it, undercutting it, right? Mm. So an example um, of this would be 
you know, I've got, I have my first book published. Like I said, I had a lot of success with that book. When I still sit down to write, I still have this voice in my head coming up and saying, oh, this is boring. No one's going to like this. People are going to think you're self-indulging, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And so now I have evidence where I get to say, well, actually, you tried to write what you thought was safe and serious literature, and you were met with nothing but rejection. And do you remember that decision you made in October of 2017, where you decided to just write whatever felt most alive in your body, and then you set and your voice in your brain was saying, "Oh, this is really boring." But then you sent it off to your PhD supervisor, who you'd been working with for seven years, and he said, "This is the best thing you've ever written." <laughs> and then you sent it off to a little um, award-winning national award thing, and it won. Do you remember that? So we have actual evidence that this little brain lie Mm. is actually not true. And then the fourth step is like, okay, so if I didn't believe that, if I chose to believe something more empowering, which is, let's say in this example, I'm not the best judge of how boring my work is and it's not my responsibility to judge, it's just my responsibility to write from the body. If I believed that, how would I act? Mm. What behaviour would I do right now? And that would not be to get away and and stop writing and go to the beach instead. It would be to finish my 1,000 words for the day and let them be the words that my body wants me to write. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do today. And so you can do this process, right, throughout any area of your life. And at the beginning, it's going to take you, like, time. You're going to have to, like, literally go through all four steps. But after a while, you're going to collapse it into, like, literally a 30-second process. Mm -hmm. And because it becomes automatic and so you'll be able to skip over most of the steps. Yeah, and that's what's so powerful about repetition, right, is that we are, you know, although it it takes us time to learn a skill, but once we've learned it, like driving, right, you know, you do it automatically. You don't even notice what's going on. You You could be doing math equations in your head and you'd still rely and feel like your skill of driving is still good to go. And that's what's powerful about our subconscious and about, wiring these new neurons in the brain and just reprogramming these parts of your mind to develop new neural pathways as to how this stuff happens and how your thoughts and your how your thought patterns occur and then what behaviors start to happen like what choices you make from that place what action you take and what I heard Chloe was it allows you it's almost like you start going down a little inauthentic fear-based path with that first thought and you recognize it and go actually this is taking me down a road of fear not authenticity not how I want to show up And it's almost like allowing you to get back on track down that road of authenticity in terms of the action that you decide to take. Yeah. And I mean, this is how we have integration or embodiment, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than just learning more information. So it's really easy to go and learn more information, especially in today's internet age, right? Learn intellectually, learn more. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you've integrated it into your life. You have to train that integration. You have to train that embodiment. And this, for me personally, is how I do that. Yeah, that pattern, that repeating. And for anyone that doesn't know what integration or embodiment means, because I remember hearing these words going, what the fuck does that actually mean? It means that you're doing it, right? It means that you're doing it in your life. You're seeing the results. You're making the change. Um, and you're taking those sometimes bold, courageous steps towards the the life you want to live and the person that you most want to be, you know? And yeah. that in itself is the journey and the work, you know, I think we, we always talk about the work, you know, and I, I also remember being like, what is this work they speak of? But that's it, isn't it? It's doing that thought correction work, reprogramming your brain, 
making and making the unconscious conscious. So making those thoughts that you wish didn't exist, but are still running away in the background and are actually having quite a big impact on how you show up in your life and the decisions that you make. Like you said, it's turning towards those, it's shining a light on them, acknowledging them and making the choice of, okay, how do I help myself and help these parts of me through these thoughts become an, a way where I can take the action required to be the person I actually want to be, to listen to my body's pull rather than my fear or my anxiety or my anger or whatever it is that's currently there for you, you know? Yeah. I think the driving is a great example. Like when you first start taking driving lessons, you're like in a skill acquisition phase, right? You may very well be driving down the street, right? In your very first lesson with your instructor sitting next to you, but it's not embodied. You're really in your head. You're having to talk yourself through every gear change, every whatever, right? Whereas as opposed to five years later or less, right, as you said, you could be doing math equations in your head and the driving is automatic, like integration. I think another way of saying integration is just maybe automatic and from the body as opposed to the head. It's in the muscle memory. Yeah. Um, and so maybe it sounds for people listening like, oh, my God, I can't imagine ever getting to a place where I could feel integrated or embodied in this. But actually, you've done this with so many things. You did it as a baby with eating. You did it as a teenager with driving. Yeah. You, you know, even like, like, like brushing your teeth, you know, walking, using your arms, speaking, like, you know, all like typing on a laptop, you know, we did it in sport is a great one as well, right? Like I remember going to try play. I played a lot of netball as a, as a kid. And I remember going back to try and play recently. Skill was gone. It was gone. Had to relearn it all over again, you know, and it is, it, it's skill building. I do love to look at it that way. And I really feel the same way for me. That's how I have built and changed my inner critic who I had an inner critic eating disorder horrible place to be horrible to myself and I've worked so hard at this pretty much the exact same process to build a super compassionate part of myself and to heal that inner critic it doesn't mean that they don't still exist it means that when they do come up there's another voice that now says oh hey it's okay like remember nothing the world's not going to end you're all right you know there's now that other voice and that's automatic now you know and so for you it almost sounds like the macro level of authenticity is quite automatic for you now like it's a skill that you've spent a lot of time learning and you're still in that process of skill winning for the micro level right yeah mm -hmm. i love Definitely. it that was yeah. such a cool step-by-step -step process that really makes a lot of sense so can you just recap it step-by-step -step for us one more what were they they were acknowledged yeah Number one, so acknowledge. So allow yourself to admit the truth of what you're feeling and or thinking. Number two, start is awareness. So start to train yourself um, to see when this is happening at multiple points throughout your day in different situations. Number three is thought correction. So do the reparenting work in each individual moment as that voice comes up to correct it and offer it counter evidence. And number four is embodiment or integration. So start to bring your behavior in line with them with a more empowering. Um, thought that you want to start training yourself um, towards being automatic. Mm, I love that. And that's, God, I just fucking love a tangible takeaway. I don't know why, but something about it, you know, when you can walk away with a really clear, like, I think because so often in the self-development world, I actually remember when I first entered, you might have experienced this as well. When I first started my wee journey, I just kept getting told to surrender. Every <laughs> bloody person kept telling me, just surrender. And I said to them, how? How? Give me the step-by-step -step list and I will surrender my heart out, all right? But right now you're telling me a word and I do not know how to do it and you're not helping me by saying just surrender, you know? And I, I, that's why I really like these tangible steps because it gives you something to do until you can realize that it's not something to do, it's just a way of being and who you are, which is what when we say that automatic 
um, embodiment integration, that's what it is, right? It becomes instead of something you do, it becomes just a way that you be, right? And so now like you are, you know, you're Chloe and you get all the time that, oh yeah, I'm just authentic. It's just the way I am. Like that's just how I show up in the world. It's how I be. It's how I live my life. For me, that's been compassion. I'm a compassionate person now. That's just who I be. It's who I be towards others and towards myself because of that work that's gone into it. So isn't that, oh, wasn't that fascinating? I love that. So you have it here, folks. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. You trained yourself to be compassionate towards other people. Yeah, I did. Like, and my, well, it started as soon as I was able to be kind to myself, I found it a lot easier to be genuinely kinder to other people. I was always kind on the outside, but on the inside, I was like, you motherfucker, you stupid, (laughs) you know, like, you're such an idiot, you know? Um, And, but it was, was, again, I wasn't giving that kindness to myself you know, and I, I needed that in order to be able to actually let that part of me that is kind, compassionate and empathetic, let that out into the world, which was a, a, a very big part of the thing that I needed to become an amazing coach. Like, can you imagine being a coach and having them be a super hard ass on you or coming at you with a real false kindness, you know? Um, so as annoying as it is, I was also speaking to this with my friend today, it does all happen for a reason. You know, like I wouldn't be the coach that I am today without living my life with a really harsh inner critic, you know, Mm. I wouldn't have gotten to where I am. And it sounds like it's very similar for you with this journey of authenticity. You know, you wouldn't have written this book and you wouldn't be teaching other people this way and living your life in this way as well. You know, I have one final question for you, Chloe, before we end. And then I just speak, can I jump in with something first? Yeah, just, it's interesting that you mentioned inner critic, right? Because for me, getting familiar with and starting to challenge our inner critic is like the first step with authenticity, because so often the reason that we're not being authentic, both with ourselves and with other people, is because we've got this inner critic feeding us lies that it's not safe, that it's selfish, that it's not realistic, whatever it is, right? Um, To the point, I'm doing this 10-day free inner critic challenge soon with um, my community where we're literally just going to spend 10 days together, like learning how to see and then challenge the inner critic. Like this for me is the first step to authenticity. Oh, I love that. Well, we'll, you'll see me the link, right? And we can put it in the show notes for people to explore that. Cause that's for, when does that start? Um, I don't really have a start date locked oh, in. Okay. I just will kind of lead from the body when I feel ready, but probably in a week <laughs> that or was two. Such a, look at that automatic authentic answer, you know, <laughs> don't have a start date, just going to wait for my body to let me know. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And you're, yeah, you're so right. Right. And I, yeah, for me, it was the inner critic and my ego as well. Both of those parts of me um, and my inner child, actually, I think any other part of you that lives in a space of fear or not. So how do you? How do you differentiate between those three? Inner critic, inner, inner critic, child, and ego. Inner critic is very mean, critical. Um, ego is very egocentric. It's all about me. And it for me, and again, it, the ego does sound different to everybody. Um, but for me, my ego goes one of two ways. It either goes to it's all my fault, which I actually still resonate being my ego, or I'm better than other people, you know, and I, I deserve more. I'm this or I'm that or whatever it is. Um, and then the inner child is where I... For me, again, I can't speak to everyone else, but my inner child for me is where I see my real childlike behavior come through, my real hashtag daddy issues, my fear of rejection, my fear of you know letting people down. And it's also where I see 
my performer, my most enthusiastic, you know, joyful younger self. Um, but yeah, that will be how I distinguish between them. Is it any different to you? I don't really, I don't really work with ego that much or at all, to be honest. Well, it's not really. I guess yeah. sometimes it doesn't even need a name really, right? Like you're yeah. in a, totally be your ego or even just yeah, any of totally. those thoughts that are coming up that are directing you away from authenticity yeah. based in fear are the traditional ego kind of coming through, you know? But for yeah. me, I always see ego and I still, I'm still journeying with it. Um, the ego is, it's all about me, you know, mm-hmm. and be that in a sense of, you know, a showy way uh, or a self-centered way, but it can also mask itself, especially, and this is something I'm uncovering within myself and in the coaching industry as the, I feel so much responsibility. I have to do this, you know, I have, to, I have a gift. I must lead the way, you know, but again, that's your ego. That's not your authentic self. It's not who you really are. It's a part of you, again, trying to get that need met of, I want to feel important. I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard, loved, special, mm-hmm. whatever it is. It's still that part of you trying to get a need met um, going in an, an yeah. authentic way. And we can see how old they are, right? From the way that they go about it, the thoughts that we're experiencing, you know, like, oh, it's all my fault, blah, blah, blah. You can see that from that thought, that that's not your adult self speaking. That's your bloody seven-year-old self speaking who, you know, was in a messy divorce with their parents and got blamed for everything and felt really awful about it. That's who that is. It's not your, however old you are today, responding to whatever is in front of you. You're still stuck in that moment in the past and bringing that into the present. Yeah, I think this is bringing up something really, I think, interesting and important for me around authenticity. And that is like, I asked you that question to differentiate between the three because I was just genuinely curious like I love hearing your brain unpacked and simultaneously I don't think that I'm going to go and do any work on learning and differentiating between those three things because at the moment it's just like it's just too much I'm just not at that level it's too much and when we like an overwhelm will lead to doing nothing and shut down rather than progress and for me in the level that I'm at right now all I have capacity to hold is the inner critic work at the moment and so I'm actually going to choose to let that extra information go and maybe not be, and maybe risk doing it not fully correctly or not at full capacity or blah, blah, yeah. because that's what, that's what, that's what I feel like I can hold at the moment. Yeah. And that's what, that's, what's going to be most beneficial for me. And for a long time or not a long time, but I guess I've only been in the coaching industry a couple of years. Sometimes I wouldn't have previously allowed myself to do that. The inner critic would have been saying, well, you should be able to hold this. Well, you should have your brain around this. And then I would just be creating overwhelm and then not actually integrating anything. Yeah, because you can't hold that much information. But first, acknowledge and love that share because that was really awesome. And that was a big moment of vulnerability to be like, I like that's cool and that's awesome, but I can't do that. That's going to overwhelm me and I don't want to be overwhelmed right now. I want to set myself up for success, right? And that was a great example of you doing your four-step process automatically, right? You did that in that moment going, oh, great information. You know, and a critic says, I should be doing it. And you go, actually, no, that's not true. What I'm doing is actually awesome. But again, there are so many fucking different modalities out there, right? And different ways of, and like different ways of thinking and feeling and being. And you know, when you said every book is actually writing and answering, answering, asking the same question, you know, when you said that, that sparked for me and what I've seen in studying. And I'm a person that loves to just investigate for some time into a modality or into something and then go, oh, how does that feel? Do I like to explore this? Do I not? Um, but what I've seen in all of them and speaking, especially on this podcast, actually, which has been really cool, interviewing different people who are trained in different modalities. It's the same fucking thing, right? Like your inner critic work, inner critic work is covering, it's a just a big umbrella. We've just 
plastered different names on things and put it into different categories because that's how my brain works, right? But the essence of the work is the same. I'm reparenting a part of myself, thought correction work, so that I can take different action, not listen to fear, listen to my body instead. It's exactly the same. But what's important here and what Chloe really banged in on so beautifully was this is my authentic way of going on my my healing journey, my self-development journey, whatever it is that you want to call it. This is my way and it's what's working for me, right? And that is the only way that you're going to be able to do it, right? You, We all know as soon as you try and adopt somebody else's way of thinking, feeling, being or doing something, you might have a minuscule amount of success. And then like you said, day three, you'll be like, why the fuck am I doing it this way? Why? You know, do it the way that feels right for you. And that's how I feel about internal family systems, which is what I'm talking about. That's what lights me up. I'm like, yeah, this feels so right for me, you know? And so that's what I teach. That's what I do. But again, working with all these different clients as well, we do it in a different way every time. And it's that invitation of take what lands and leave the rest. Only focus on, like we actually just at the moment coming to the end of my 10-week program, Boundless. And in that program, we've tried so many different experiences, so many different ways of doing the reparenting work. So changing the stories and helping yourself feel more whole and happy and remembering who you are um, and overcoming insecurity and fear. We've tried so many different ways of doing that. And now at the end, to develop the plan for the future when they won't have a meeting every week where we could go through something, it's going, okay, what actually worked for you? Don't pick 10, pick two, right? What are the things that you're committed to on your journey that you're going to do every day that were not easy because it's never easy, but were easier than others for you. You know, like when you said that overwhelm, right? Like when something's too hard, you know, like for me with, I, I like astrology, I like human design, but going into, I'm like that, that is too hard for me. I can't do it. You know, when we get that way, again, like you said, we don't embody, we don't integrate, we don't make it automatic. We don't actually see any change in our lives because of it. And so when you go, if anyone's on this journey of self-development or healing or growth, again, it's got so many names, but anyone on this journey that's listening, I hope that you take away from this. Authenticity is the road to healing, but it's in the way that's authentic to you. So your healing journey is just as much about authenticity as it is about getting to authenticity or bringing in more authenticity. You've got to go about it in an authentic way, which involves asking the question, how does this feel for me? You know, what is, you know, like you said, feel the pull. Where does your body want to go? Like for you then, you were like, no, you know, um, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, your inner critic work or whatever other work you want to do, that's where you feel, feel the pull towards, you know? I think that's mm-hmm. so important. Yay. Yeah. And I did, can I ask you one final question so that everyone can leave leave with this? What has been the impact of authenticity for you in your life? Oh, I think just better relationships. Mm. like that for me is fundamentally what it's about like honestly when I look back at like the way that I was previously dating and the way that I was like treating my partners it's pretty freaking horrifying to be honest like not in the sense of like I wasn't abusing them or anything like that but just complete unawareness for my own emotional regulation for my own needs and desires for my own communication let alone all of that then within their like bodies and brains you know what I mean like I just had no concept um with my mom my mom is kind of she's had a lot of trauma and she's sort of chosen to focus on optimism and gratitude as her way of of dealing and 
I mean, I don't, uh, even someone said to me the other day, I don't really know anyone with as much trauma on a personal level. I don't know anyone with as much trauma in their life as your mother has experienced. And yet she's a joy to be around. She's like a light for so many people. And sometimes I've, I've forgotten that over the years, you know, but at the same time, I do feel like there's a gap or there was a gap in our family, particularly growing up in terms of us not really learning how to hold our own emotions, how to communicate our needs, how to set and hold boundaries, how to not shy away from difficult family conversations. And so a lot of the work that I've been learning in my own life, I've then been trying to feed back into my, with my parents. I no longer have siblings, but with my parents and with our family dynamics, and for a long time, my mom was like, it's just, it's just not my style. It's just not my thing. And I tried to respect that. But for me, I did also feel authentically that like, that's, it's not to say that it's just not your thing for me, isn't really good enough when it comes to like wanting to communicate your own and then hear your child's needs. Like, mm-hmm. that's not just like a hobby or an interest that you get to choose. This is like a fundamental relationship skill and so I have maybe been a little bit pushy with her over the years but like what I've noticed in the last like honestly like two weeks I don't know what happened but something just shifted where she started telling me that when she's triggered and she's like started like stop she'll start to check in before she goes ahead and gives unsolicited advice wow and how how how's that changed how you feel in the relationship well I just feel like all of a sudden all of this animosity and anger and tension is just like gone wow yeah (gasps) like I'm like crying I'm starting to tear up yeah like to the point where in the past it's like I actually haven't always enjoyed my mother's company and I found it really hard to enjoy her company because we just couldn't communicate yeah. and because we didn't know how to communicate. And I can see that that's really actively changing. Like I, I said to someone the other day, I think my dad, I was like, dad, I feel like I had my first conscious adult relationship, uh, sorry, conversation with mum last week. Wow. Like I'm 35 years old. <laughs> and you're like, and I had my, what? Yeah. I had my first adult conversation with my mother when she came to me and she said, you triggered me the other day. Wow. She opened with that. And I was like, okay, amazing. Can you share with me what was coming up for you? And we were able to then like, you know, work through it. Maybe not in the same depth that I do with my girlfriends, right? Because we're, you know, both sort of self-training and whatever. But like for her, like that is flipping, flipping a massive. And as a result, I was able to just have so much more compassion for her. I bet you were because you actually understand what's going on, right? And again, that's the thing. We, when we can't communicate with people, we don't know or understand their experience and therefore we don't have all the information about what's going on. So our own judgments come up. And when we have to remember that for our brain, when we don't have all the information, your brain will make up a story to justify why something's happening. It will do that based on what you learned likely between the ages of zero and seven about whatever it is. So it's not going to be a you know compassionate kind story. It's probably going to be a very childlike centered story And so seeing that change and having that information, you said created so much more compassion. And I just see you, I see the two of you becoming both physically, but also on a soul communicative level closer, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And to give you another really concrete illustration of how powerful this work can be, right. Um, Say with, with my, um, with my ex, um, let's say we would arrange to meet up at, let's say like Cafe Red. Okay. On my island where I live, there's two different branches of Cafe Red. 
And so we had arranged to meet at Cafe Red and then um, we texted, okay, I see you at 10 at Cafe Red, got there, went there at the agreed time. He was at one Cafe Red branch and I was at another, okay? And so I was like, oh, my gosh, okay, can we just have a conversation about this? Let's just clean this up and let's maybe work out maybe like um, a code word or whatever so we know like which branch we're referring to. And he was like, no, 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 I don't want to communicate. Like, I don't want, I don't want to make troubles. It doesn't matter. No big deal. I don't mind. I can drive to you. I can da, 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 da. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I, I'm not making it. I don't want to make it a big deal. I'm not angry. I'm not da, da. like, I just want to make sure this doesn't happen in the future. He's like, no, no, Chloe, it's totally fine. Don't make a problem. I'm going to drive to you right now. Okay. And so then what happens next time? We go to two different branches again. And Chloe, that's the, the whole best process. example I've ever heard. That is so good. That example really illustrates it, doesn't it? About the importance of wanting to be in communication. And then you have that, you're literally at two different places in the, like, you know, far apart from each other. You That's the sense of it, right? When you don't communicate, you end up in two different places. Right. As opposed to saying, okay, let's call that branch down there branch one and this branch up here, I don't know, river branch because it's near the river or whatever. And then next time you're going to meet there and you say, meet me at the river branch and you never have that issue again at all. It's completely taken away as an issue in your relationship. That is just honestly, I can't, you need to film a reel or something with that example because that about the importance of communication because that's fucking genius, right? Okay, I love that. Thank <laughs> that you. That is such a cool, yeah, I really like that example. It very much illustrates why communication is important. And yeah, especially that bit where you, you know, because we do often do that. We do go, oh, I don't want to make a fast or no, 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 it's no big deal. All good. Okay. No problem. Blah, blah, blah. We do often do that, right? Because we're trying to not make a big deal or not make a fuss when really that's a coping mechanism for not wanting to, you know, get in trouble or whatever it might be. But that communication is important because it's what fosters connection. And that is one of our, probably our main core human need, right? Is to feel connected to the people around us. Well, I would say it fosters clarity. Oh, yeah which then automatically leads to connection because often when we're hurt by someone, it's not that we're hurt by their action. It's because we're hurt. We're hurt because we don't understand why they took that action. Mm. And as soon as we understand the why, then we stop interpreting their behavior as an act of like malice intentional or not. Right. So like I was doing an IG live with a girlfriend the other day and we'd arranged it to start at 10 and I did some promotion for it in the lead up and we were about to go live. It was like half an hour before we were going live. And I noticed all she'd done was like one story and I'd done like 10 stories, two feed posts, whatever it was. Right. And it's like, and this is a woman that's super conscientious, super on top of her shit, super organized, like, you know, and I said to her like, Hey girl, I'm just checking in. Did you definitely want to go live today? Um, question mark. I'm feeling a little bit sad and hurt and also confused why you haven't done any promotion for the live. Right. And I mean, obviously we have that kind of relationship that we can just be really real. This would be a text because I also, I would have normally called, but I had to jump in the shower to be ready on time. And I said that as well. And she was like, hey girl, oh my goodness. Thanks for, thanks for um, checking in and, and asking for clarity. So the way that we do our lives is, is that we back promote them. So we typically find because of the time zone differences that people watch the replay more than they watch live. So we don't actually normally promote them before. We promote them in these three ways after we've done the recording. So I just assumed that this is how we would do that promo live. Mm. She was like, are you okay with that? I can understand why you're hurt. Did you want to reschedule? And I was like, oh, no, okay, that makes sense. Now I understand you have a total promotion plan. Mm. Our plans are just really different. Yes. It's not that she hadn't done the work. She'd been planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And you just, again, the lack of, well, not, you didn't have a lack of communication, but if you hadn't communicated, you didn't have the information that you needed to be able to actually understand the situation to get a real response of, of, you know, oh, do I want to continue with this or do I not? Otherwise you just, you know, imagine going into that live with all that, like, what the fuck? Like she doesn't even even care, you know? Yeah. I would have, we would have shown up on IG live for an hour with public people watching. And I would have had this lie going on in the background of my brain saying, She's doing this out of obligation and she doesn't actually want to be here. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how I would have showed up differently, how I would have related to her differently if I'd had that lie running the whole hour long we were speaking? That's so fucking true. And imagine, like, in re- I can just see that example so clearly in my past relationships, right? You know, when, you know, somebody, God, when somebody didn't eat the food I made them, you know, oh my God, they don't, you know, r- rather than knowing they were full, my brain is saying they don't care. They don't like what I make. They they don't like yeah. it. You know, they don't like it. Or they're, they're allergic it. to the garlic. You put yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You didn't know they're <laughs> allergic to garlic, right? <laughs> oh my God, right? I think it's, yeah, again, taking as we take it so personally sometimes, right? And that's just our body's survival instinct of helping us survive so we can figure out what's wrong, you know? Um, so in a weird way, even though these thoughts aren't necessarily helpful, when you learn how to work with them, they are actually quite helpful because they drive you now, once you've learned this, they drive you now to go and get the information you need and have the conversations you need to have. 100%, right? So before the IG live with my girlfriend in the past, when I had the feeling of sadness and rejection and confusion come up for me, I would have said, don't be needy. Don't be nitpicky. Don't be a demanding friend. And and so I'm not going to acknowledge those feelings. I'm just going to pretend those feelings don't exist because my brain can't see a world in which acknowledging them is going to lead to anything positive. All it's going to lead to is conflict. And so I would have denied them as opposed to now it's like, okay, let me acknowledge the feelings that are here without making them wrong. So, oh, there's sadness, there's hurt, there's confusion, bit of anger. Okay. Interesting. Let's maybe we don't want to like go into that. I don't want to then just um, make them completely like correct and go and like, I'm so angry at you. You misbehave. I can't believe you didn't prime, right, promote, right? Like that would be like feeding into the anger, right? But so I'm going to acknowledge those feelings, but I'm not going to become those feelings. I'm just going to be like, okay, there's something that's not that I'm needing a little bit more clarity for here. Okay. Let me go get some clarity around this. Mm, yeah. Which is so beautiful. And it helps you to, again, show up in your life with more authenticity continuing yeah. to do the things you want to do and to live the life that you want to live rather than yeah. listening to that anger or responding from those emotions that are totally there and totally valid, but aren't necessarily true in their place, you know? Yeah. And this is what I mean about authenticity is not just vomiting your emotions and thoughts over. <laughs> it's also, there's like a skill, there's a skill here. Yeah. To be- and I think same with vulnerability, right, as well. Like I remember thinking, oh, okay, cool. So I just overshare everything, you know, and I absolutely went through a stage in my life where every person I could get my hands on, you know, like, you know, when you've, um, like, I mean, when I was in my drinking stage of life and I'd always have drunk DMs with people, big, deep and meaningful conversations because, and what I found was both myself and other people were so fucking desperate to just share about what was really going on with them, you know? But again, there is that, I remember when I stopped drinking, I started still craving that. And I almost brought that into just everyday life where I was just, you know, blah, blah, about things that were going on for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know? Um, yeah. But it's it's not, a, that's not what true vulnerability or authenticity is, right? It's about going through that beautiful four-step process that I hope that you, I'm sure you will, but I'm sure you'll make a beautiful post about it with a one, two, three, four that we can always print out and stick on our foreheads, right? 
<laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for this incredible conversation about authenticity and how it leads to better communication. That's what I really heard, right? For you, but I think for a lot of people and fosters that deeper connection from that sense of clarity. So thank you so much for being here. I just I just realized one last thing, actually. You know how I said I realized that everyone was writing the same book? What I was seeing is that everyone was writing this book of how to love themselves in relation to other people. And the gap was that they didn't have the communication skills to do it. Yes, yes, yes. To get the true authentic unconditional love that they were desiring which as all human beings we all desire unconditional love right to be loved just for who we are but if you don't have the ability to communicate when you're not feeling that type of love or if you don't even have the ability to be honest with yourself about not feeling that type of love then you're not going to get there you know Oh, I love that little breakthrough. Incredible. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And if this episode resonated with you, the best way to support the show is to please share this and tag us in your stories. Um, I'm at Kathleen.MindsetCoach and I will share all of Chloe's information. Please go follow her on the gram. Um, She's incredible with what she shares and it's very exciting. And I'll put the details as well for that um, in a critic challenge or in a critic 10 day thing we're speaking about. We'll get that there as well. Mm -hmm. 